0: Welcome to the reprogram where we reveal and heal the programs our nervous system picked up along our lives to protect us. Where our children's improved behavior is a byproduct of the safety we've reclaimed in our bodies. Where we use neuroscience to bring us back to love and where we bravely heal ourselves so our children don't have to. Intergenerational trauma ends with us. I see you, I'm with you, I am you. Let's reprogram together. Okay, everyone. I'm fangirling big time over here. We're talking to the coolest coaches on the internet, twins Hannah and Kelty of Upbringing. I have been inspired by these two for years, and you can find them in like complimentary monochromatic jewel toned outfits on their land in outside of Portland where they're like co-raising their beautiful families together. And they are (sighs) upbringing is all about like parenting for social change. And honestly, you guys, I just scripted out the intro to your podcast because the words that you've chosen to describe your mission statement and what y'all accomplished could not be more perfect. And I could not love it more. So here's, here's what upbringing is. Upbringing is a movement that empowers parents to grow up alongside their kids for sanity and social change. We focus on our personal work as parents, the awareness and and approach needed to raise amazing humans while we also get some shit done. They're funny too, you guys. We radically. Redefine kids' resistance as an opportunity to nurture skills and values like consent, nonviolent communication, emotional intelligence, body positivity, and respect. We attempt this by practicing powers beyond control, evidence-based tools that protect our kids' personal freedoms, support their skill building, and better align with how we roll as people. To us, this is the practice of parenting. When we can choose trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids. We're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Y'all, it's so good. <laughs> I
1: haven't heard that for a while. That was really nice. We don't listen to our own podcast. So that yeah. was really nice to hear.
0: It's okay? so good. That's what we do. Yeah, okay. Right. That sounds
1: all right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us on, Ann.
0: Absolutely. I mean, when I was navigating blindly through the muddy waters of early parenting myself, even as a licensed clinician, I really relied on a lot of information y'all gave and trusted y'all so much. And so I'm just tickled pink to be talking to you right now. Oh, that's so sweet to hear. Well, okay. So I love to hear, I love hearing how people came to be doing the work they're doing and the way that they're doing it. And so. Please tell us how y'all came to create upbringing and why.
1: Mm, I think upbringing began when we became mothers. And so I had my daughter almost 10 years ago this upcoming month. And uh, about six months later, Kelsey had her daughter. And I think parenthood for me, those first six months was pretty easy breezy. I mean, basic challenges. But I mean, I think as far as like our social and cultural conditioning went, I seemed like a very natural mother. My daughter was like a quote unquote good baby. She was easy to get to sleep. She was, <clears throat> you know, could play independently, you could carry her around. You could pass her off to people. It was pretty, pretty awesome. And then Kelty's daughter was born, and it was a very different story. She struggled to to find sleep, and she had a very unique nervous system compared to mine. Right? She was <clears throat> a little bit more fussy. She would scream in car rides like the entire car ride, right? She didn't like being held by other people or even fed by other people necessarily. And I think that it really put us in a position knowing that we were incredibly close, very similar and raising our babies in the same way. How could we reconcile such different experiences? And I had to kind of, I had to face these these conventional beliefs that I had in Kelty probably too, that like I wasn't necessarily a quote unquote good mom and I didn't have a good baby. <clears throat> because what would that say about Kelty, my my beloved twin sister? Would it say that she's a, right. a mother? Would it sure. say that her baby was a problem baby? Mm-hmm. And so I started realizing that, that there was a lot of cultural and social conditioning that wasn't necessarily supporting us, just even just right from the get-go as new moms, right Kel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then I think things began to shift even more mightily when our sons came into the picture two years later, and all of a sudden we had four kids under four and um, toddlers pushing buttons and runaways and meltdowns and all the things started happening and that's when our kind of um, our discipline game came into action where we were like how do we handle this gosh all of a sudden they're pushing back and they're saying no and they're um, challenging us in all of these ways. How do we deal with this because the ways that come really naturally to us, you know, the control toolbox, as we call consequences on my terms now, threats, rewards, overpower, lectures, shame, blame, spanking, all the stuff that most of us learned. Yeah. Um, I wasn't feeling so good and honestly kind of was in direct opposition to a lot of the values we held as progressive ladies um, in terms of consent and emotional, um, social, emotional learning and um, boundary setting and, um you know, being in relationship, being human to human, all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that around then was a a kind of second great awakening for us. And when we started reading a lot more, um, taking trainings, coachings, all kinds of things like that, and just kind of deep diving into like, what makes these little humans work? How can we be struggling to grow up alongside them and build the skills needed to support them in a way that doesn't feel coercive, control-based, shame-based, all of those things? And that doesn't fry our nervous systems oh, because sure. we're very sensitive, you know, empathic um <clears throat> introverted ladies. Mm-hmm. And so you know, <laughs> working with four kids under four, two of them who are highly sensitive and spirited, um, was really challenging. So it wasn't just about, you know, getting through the day um with our, our kids and, and nurturing them in ideal ways, but also just getting through the day ourselves, right?
0: Truly. I was just listening to y'all on the walk an hour ago and I loved what one of y'all said about how hard it was growing up in that control, shame based, behavior focused model. And we don't have to experience it again by giving it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Just because-, because that feels so bad for us. Like, think about how much we're overpowering our own instincts and our own mm-hmm. sensitivities and our own emotions by giving what we got and how stressful that is for us, right? How painful that is for us. And also, like, it doesn't really work.
1: We're mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> all put in such a, um- a a tough situation. We call it this like mass conspiracy that we should somehow know how to parent. And I think we, we lean unconsciously on that instinct on that conditioning. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't just because it comes naturally doesn't mean it feels good to us. Doesn't mean it feels good to our kids. Doesn't mean it's passing on the values that we hold. Right. And so I think a lot of the work we do with, with parents and that we had to do personally and are still working on as we're going here. Right. This is Mm -hmm. a life, um, you know, education is, tapping more into our our intuition and really starting to break free from the social and cultural conditioning that is really giving us a script, so to speak, Mm -hmm. to engage in these challenging moments with our kids' big feelings and and tricky behaviors and saying, I don't have to say that, that thing that comes so naturally to my mind, because it's actually perpetuating inherited legacies of control that were used on me and my parents and my grandparents and so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. And then I can start saying something new that aligns with really who I am and who I see my child being and and start a new way of of conversing around these tricky topics.
0: Like A freaking men. I mean that's what that's what this topic is today, right? It's it's not you, it's the parenting script you were given, right? (laughs) And I always want parents to leave the podcast with an emotional experience of knowing there's nothing wrong with you. You're not bad. Right. And sometimes it baffles me too what you're talking about around these instincts that feel so inaccessible to us. And we become parents often. It, I was listening to another um, podcast earlier today about, you know, how to co-regulate and all these say three sentences and match your face to their face. And how far have we gotten away from our instincts? It's like, this is how you eat food, put the soup bowl in front of you, take your hand. And like, sometimes I feel like I'm just teaching, Parents And and again, I had to learn this too. I'm not saying I also had to truly learn this, but I'm also so baffled at how we have a world of parenting experts that are literally teaching us how to communicate, teaching us how to connect. This should be instinctual. And we have this cultural legacy that has just gotten us so off track.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a a coming home to ourselves, to. Our our kids to our shared humanity. I mean, Kelsey, you were talking (laughs) this morning on our walk about the trend that we've seen. When we really think about it, it's like wow, we've gotten so far off base in terms of relating human to human. You know, that is really hard. But when you actually look at historically, like a hundred years ago, I mean, think about how what parenting was like then, like Mm. puritanical Victorian times, Mm. like you know, I mean, wow. And now you see kids and they get to play on the playground and they get to go around without shoes. And like, I mean, things have changed when, when you think about it, it's nice to kind of get a little bit of a historical context, but I think what you're mm-hmm. saying too we still have so far to go. We are on a really big change wave. Um, and all of these things really matter not to add more pressure at all, but to, to really hopefully get us all excited and empowered inspired to, to make little changes when mm-hmm. we can. I like that you also bring up that we're learning so much and that can be really overwhelming to be like, okay, I have to say what things? Okay. So I need, I'm going to look at them for a few beats. And then I'm going to say this one thing that's quickly, the golden ticket, that's going to get them to freaking calm down, please. Right. And that can be really overwhelming to parents thinking, okay, I'm doing it wrong. What comes naturally, which is hard enough to pill to swallow. But then I have to say all of these other things, right. I have to shift that script from okay, go to your room or shut up, or you can't talk to me that way, or that's unkind, or why are you doing this? Or what's your problem? Or you're being a bad kid or any of those things. Okay. Shifting away from those. But now I have to say what? Now I have to- Right. What am
0: I? Yeah. Yeah. What's positive discipline? Right, 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 right.
1: And yeah, it can be really overwhelming. It's like we're going from going hard on our kids to then going hard on ourselves. And neither Mm -hmm. of those things is helpful yeah exactly. And-
0: it's like we we got the message we were a bad kid often for being being wild, being powerful, being emotive, all the things that are natural, normal, healthy. now we're a bad parent, right
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and just- we've been
0: caring absolutely right and and y'all do this so well, and that's been what I've uncovered through my clinical practice as well and and also my own personal journey is that parents need to feel and receive. Right, the experience of empathy, of compassion, of there's nothing wrong with you, Ness. To be able to have access to naturally to those validating, co-regulating, empathic words, and not just the words, right? The energy, the the mirror neurons, the the vibe that y'all, you know, you talk about, right? Like the vibration of our bodies that really give a sense of safety. We, it's it's the it's the difference between like looking at the blackboard and we're learning this in school and Hey, we're having experiential learning, right? Like we're out in nature. We're putting things together through experience. Don't you agree?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I think so much about this. I think is is that the fact that we're all growing up together, and so we're not supposed to know all of it. We're not supposed to do it perfectly. That's all part of our conditioning too. That maybe we're yeah. not trying to harm our child with, but we're still being harmed by it. So I love yeah. that you're saying that, Anna. Saying let's open it up and just say this is you know we're going to feel forward with this. Like this is all like we say progress over perfection, and we're going to be figuring this out alongside our kid in relationship with our kid, and that's how mm-hmm. it's actually meant to be. It totally yeah. breaks down this 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 idea of authority, what an authority figure is, what a parent is, what our responsibility is. And it really, the idea that we support parents in and give them permission to do is to take so much pressure off their shoulders, so much yeah. fear off their shoulders, so much shame off their shoulders mm-hmm. and to to really just feel free in relationship with their kids. And that doesn't mean that it's total chaos. It doesn't mean that nobody's right. in charge, but we are sharing power in a different way in the, the work that we do with parents and helping them navigate these situations. And it, it feels so much better. Ultimately, Yeah, the metaphor mm. that we often use is the cultural conditioning we've been handed. Like you said, Hannah, tells us that as a parent, as the authority in charge, um, we've got to control everything, right? We've got to be in control in a really big way. So it's almost like it's like a stage play where the writer, where the director, where the producer, where the stage, the stage hand, we do the sets, we tell everyone where to stand and what to say and how to act, right? Mm. And that's, it's this expectation or assumption that we have. And what we're really working on is saying, Tear up all those scripts and let's stand on stage with our kids more like an improv act where we're all there together and it's more yes and they say something or do something, we throw something in. We're experimenting right alongside them and a more like egalitarian and democratic kind of open forum, so to speak. And we're, it's a huge relief. Mm-hmm. We're still paying great the, rent, still the theater, you know. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No one falls through the floor or, you know, falls off <laughs> of a rafter or something, you know, um, so we're still in charge, but we're, right. we're definitely opening ourselves up to being in relationship and seeing what actually can develop authentically, right, um, over time as we work through these challenges, what we call the conflict revolution with our kids, it's a, a circle of conflict that we just practice and spiral through over and over and over and that we get better at. And we even like take some joy in eventually the goal.
0: Right. Oh, I love the improv metaphor. And it's also there's a lightness implied to it, right? Even a playfulness and this idea of, oh, well, that didn't work. That went really badly. Ho, oh, let's figure out why. Right. And and it it feels like the lightness of guilt versus shame, right? Like this 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 shame script that that is very much stored in our implicit memory in our bodies that I am bad when I make a mistake because so many of us were straight up punished. We were you know, Mm -hmm. banished, we were hurt um, when we made a mistake. And I just, I I keep going back to that because I think it's so powerful to understand that that's not true, but it is our lived experience and it's our go-to neuropathway until it's not. But when we can lighten up into, oh, my behavior, my choices is not defining who I am as a person. And so we can have some objectivity to it, and lightness around. Mm-hmm. this was a huge, terrible afternoon. Wow! Look at all of us, right?
1: Hundred <laughs> percent, Anne. I love that so much, mm-hmm. and I love that you point to some of the rules of improv too, which is there are no mistakes. One of the right. rules. Yeah, there actually right. are none. Somebody yeah. takes one direction, and you got to go with it.
0: Right. Wow. That's it's, the rule.
1: It's all part of the story, and I, mm-hmm. I like that that idea that when we break off of these beliefs that. Uh, our interactions with our kids and as a parent and authority over them have to be scripted and have these fixed expectations. That's why things go so poorly because we think they should go a particular way. Everyone is off script and that feels terrible. But I think the other thing you're alluding to, which is so magical and it's, it's something we just undervalue in our society is also this belief that we, we have that we have to be so serious and that kids learn best and that they they will struggle a yes. well, and we will have more obedient kids the more serious we are, the more stern we are. Mm-hmm. And, and so improv brings in this sense of, of levity. This brings in this sense of humor and lightness and what we call our three C's, compassion, curiosity, and creativity. And the beauty of that is that, that kids are primed to learn and grow and participate with those three things, with that that inherent nature of play that is an improv and that can be inherent in conflict as well. And that bringing our kids into to participate in these challenges with us brings in an integral piece of the puzzle in a conflict, which is the other person. And so, so things can actually get worked through and skills can actually be built and connection can actually be had because we're bringing our kids on stage and then playing with them in a way that Builds their skills, that nurtures our relationship, that supports their self-concept, that heals our own wounds. Right? Oh, and yes. fun, say right.
0: And another part of the improv metaphor that I love is we're not attached to outcome. There's no like end point. It's all about the process.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the story arc in the in the traditional sense does not exist. Right. And I think that that's the feeling that we have often when we're in that kind of play holding all the cards mindset is mm-hmm. now this is a tragedy. Now this is <laughs> whatever it is. We characterize whatever story it is. You're the villain. Right. You're the victim. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The we goals. Yeah, yes. This is turning list. into a thriller and I did not sign on for that. As opposed to an improv act where you don't know what direction it's going to go. It's all part of a, a big evolution and, and um, kind of joint experimentation. I, oh, I think- oh, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think people listening though might be like, "But seriously, how do you get up to go to school?" This is- <laughs> <laughs> sounds super cute it's on the weekend. Sure, uh, sure, sure, sure. Sure. job to get to. If we yeah. didn't have to get dressed every day. If we didn't have. What to- about the homework? What yeah. about the chores? Mm-hmm. What about being nice to your sister? How can we improv our way through that? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent point. What do you What do you say to that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're culturally conditioned. Here we go again. <laughs> <laughs> Raising our awareness about our cultural conditioning. It's not reality. It's not truth. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's conditioning. It's programming, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. um, to think. I think we've, we've been conditioned to think that, that play and that collaboration and that um, focusing, on uh, focusing on relationship over behavior outcomes is permissive. It's yes. passive. It's right. unproductive it's even neglectful, right? We, because that's, you know, that's when pe- you, people want you to make money for them, when people want you to do work for them, when our culture has all of these beliefs, they're going to say, no, you need to fall in line. You need to, you know, toe the line. You need to be listening and, and behaving. And so what we're, we work with parents in in learning is that play and improv and moving through with the three C's is one of the most productive things we can do to actually get the shoes on, to actually get into the tub, to actually totally. Because kids don't tend to respond. Humans in general don't tend to respond well to control. They don't tend to respond well to sternness or to shame, right? It usually Mm -hmm. distances the relationship. It reduces skill building. It reduces um, collaboration and cooperation. So but that's the beauty of finding the power and the magic of improv that it doesn't only feel better it doesn't only nurture that relationship but it really does get things done it does get the shoes on it does uh it takes a little bit of time sometimes it's a long game practice totally um,
0: but it works absolutely i find that so often with my clients right they come with these very concrete challenges right these very logistical like fixed like problems they want to fix And I always go back to this macro sense, right? Of We have to focus on the relationship, as you said, because when attachment is our number one focus, which is how can I strengthen my relationship with this person? How can I see their goodness, right? How can I infuse some oxytocin and play that makes them naturally follow those attachment instincts that are hardwired into our nervous system of, I really love my mom. She's awesome. I want to put on these shoes because she asked me to. Like we get that natural cooperation, um, I find that I just always end up zooming out around that because that is always the answer. But we're not gonna be in the living room with you when the shoes are over here and where are your car keys, right? Like it it again, it has to go back into this parent. I think having this very fundamental understanding of these general concepts and then you do have to apply them, but you have to this is why I I I am so passionate about this this real zoom out into the parent experience because if we're too stressed, right? If if our nervous system is too overloaded, we can't be creative. We can't be flexible. We can't be connected and playful, right? I mean, what do y'all say to that idea around mm-hmm. cognitively, I hear you, right? But I think when the rubber hits the road, the parental nervous system that has been so untended to, right, mm-hmm. by attachment figures, really has trouble accessing this wonderful research and information.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And integrating <laughs> it really. Fully. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love having those conversations with parents where they're like, okay, I think I'm starting to get it. I'm noticing mm. that I'm about to freak out. I'm noticing that I want to say something else and I still can't do it. And I screamed and we're like, that's amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I think we also talk with them about bringing the conversation of nervous system and and, and body's needs into the family. And this that's the perfect place to be doing it in this early time of experimenting in a new kind of power dynamic and relationship dynamic with our kids and saying, what's my body needing? You can say, my body was needing space. My body oh, yeah. was really overwhelmed and stressed. This often happens in, in circle back conversation where we can repair and connect after we lost it, right? Or after we yelled or after we got a little impatient. Or after we gave like little shamey eye daggers or whatever it is, right? We sure. Later and talk about what our nervous systems and bodies were experiencing and apologize about it and talk about what our kids' bodies were needing in that moment. Beautiful. running away or couldn't focus on us or whatever it is.
0: Absolutely, right? Like building that ability in ourselves while also building it in our children so that they, and ultimately, and y'all are probably finding this because your oldest are around 10, it sounds like. This is a more sustainable and easier way to parent, because if we were still the top down referee, judge, authority, like I'm controlling all of these elements that for one, we're going to get counter will and it's not going to work when they get big enough to, you know, really understand their power. But also when we are building this internal awareness in our kids of their own bodies and needs, and when we're promoting their own agency, promoting their skill building and their self-advocacy, right? You get to sit back and watch a lot of it in time right? And Mm -hmm. be kind of this substitute frontal lobe. I find my kids lately just ask me a lot of questions. Hey, mom, is it okay? If I do this? Is it? Are you cool with this? And and I'm just like, thank you for asking. Yeah, that that works for me, right? Because they kind of have this like, problem solving ingrained in their brain already of the multiple like decisions that we're making throughout the day. And is this a good one or a bad one? And so they're checking in. But it, it again, I think it's a, such a more sustainable way to parent.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's so mm-hmm. true. We we hear often from people saying this just feels so exhausting. It's so much easier to yell at, or to right. send them to their room or to, you know, put them in timeout or whatever it is. But now I have to get creative and I got to be goofy when I'm feeling like pissed off. And I have to think of a, a fun way to like, Get them to the car or a fun, interesting way to to challenge them to put away all their toys in the room. That's just too much effort. And it's really interesting watching the process of those those scales tipping in the other way and realizing it's actually doing less work to be goofy, to let something go, to ask a question, to reflect and validate what we're seeing or hearing. It's actually less effort than getting ourselves all riled up or Break, you know, breaking connection for a moment with our kids and having to then start all over, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking of the script that we're doing, we're doing too. That in those moments when we're thinking about building. And raising kids, who, building brains and, and raising kids who know how to overcome personal obstacles or know how to overcome, um, you know, interpersonal conflict. If we're just focusing on behavior and focusing on the thing getting done, which is like, it's, that's the name of the game being a parent. It's just like, just get that stuff done. We just need to move through this thing. So we're focused on actions. We're focusing on behaviors. We're focusing on outcomes, right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. We start shifting all of that to instead focusing on needs, focusing on awareness of those feelings, and then focusing on ideas on ways to actually what the the obstacles are and ways to move through those. Getting goofy and creative and connecting in relationship with our kids is one of the most productive things we can do because it actually helps them learn life skills to move through and eventually get the taxes done, get their butt to the gym someday, call their mother-in-law that they really need to do. It helps them when they, they come up against something, right? So at, as a kid it's us and our expectations and eventually it's going to be life that they come up against and they're like oh i don't want to do that right the work we get to do with them now is patterning them to to get you know compassionate about it first that's the first seed wow this is feeling hard for me and that's okay right or compassionate Mm -hmm. for another person who's struggling. And then it helps them get curious. Why is this hard for me to do whatever it is or curious about another person? Why are they struggling right now? Mm -hmm. And then it helps them get creative. What can I do to move through this and meet my needs or these other needs or expectations in a way that feels good and feels successful, right? Or helping other people figure out their problems. And so this isn't just a little one trick pony to get kids out the door in the morning. This is real sure. life skills that we're practicing and modeling for them. And again, like you said, Anne, it's all based in security of nervous system. Mm-hmm. So we, that's why we're using connection instead of fear, because fear increases anxiety, increases <laughs> yeah. nervous system dysregulation, and reduces learning. So they can't learn the three C's because we can't teach them because we're wired too. So, so much about it is getting into that space of saying, if I'm going to be doing these three C's with my kids and they're going to be learning these three C's and then eventually do using them on their siblings and even me, which is so cool, Yes, I need to be in a place where I'm receptive to those three C's. And so we work with a lot of parents on those self-regulation strategies because it's got to start with us. Oxygen mask goes on us first in order to, to move along and be the influence that our kids need to be in those moments um, but it's it's an ongoing process it's a, a, a tricky tricky um, change wave to reprogram like you say that that nervous system
0: absolutely it's so much and and I find that there's so much shadow work in parenting right I, I thought about what y'all said earlier about a lot of parents will say to me as well this child is so different than me right we're having such difficulty connecting or this child is so similar to me, right? It's just so triggering. But what, what I find in my clinical work too, is, you know, I'll have a parent say, my child is just so sensitive. And I'll say, did anyone tell you, you were too sensitive? And they just,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Like
0: we've unleashed something because how much of our parenting problems are also a lot of projection, right? These parts of us that we, we got the message. This is too much. This is, this is not okay. This is bad. This is shameful. This is not accepted here. And then we tuck it away and then our child just shows up with it with no awareness of how it affects anyone, which is exactly how it should be and how much of it is us returning to our own selves, like you said, and really shining such compassionate light on those parts of us that our, that our child is really giving us the opportunity to do that for, right?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're the mirrors, right? And they can really bring out the, the, the harm child within us. Some, you know, oh. absolutely and so that's the mutual healing work that gets to happen like yeah. you said i mean and so that's why we always say the hard stuff's the good stuff which makes some people want to punch us in the face and that's okay yeah 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 yeah, um, yeah but like when you're in that right mind zone and you start realizing and you start doing that work you're like oh my gosh the hard stuff is the good stuff my kids <laughs> resistance is incredible information and a beautiful opportunity to build skills relationships Right? all those things my inter- internal resistance to what my child is doing when I feel that feeling of tension or you know, my head's going to explode or whatever kind of somatic signal I'm getting that is such good information too and we've been taught in our, our society that any negative feelings you want to avoid you want to bypass you want to put underground but so what we encourage and it sounds like you obviously do too is to say let's unearth all of that let's examine that it's safe to hold these these challenges us and for our kids and together. And that's the work. That's how how growth actually happens.
0: I know. I love the saying, the shit happens. So the shift happens. Mm, <laughs> I love that. Right. And when you have answered the call, which it takes what it takes, right? Like, I mean, I, I always say I had to hit my head against that wall enough times to realize the wall wasn't moving, and I was the only one getting hurt, right? And it, and it really does take what it take, takes. But when you do answer the call and do that work to get on the other side, you can speak from experience of, it really is the good stuff, right? Um, hello, our 40s, right?
1: <laughs> well, and I like too that, I mean, this isn't a complete change wave. It's like, this isn't like, you know, our parenting isn't like, Developing a capsule wardrobe or something, and it can happen or whatever. Like, this is ongoing work, and even encouraging those who are listening, and we have to encourage this in each other and the folks we work with. Even if we can make a a small shift, you know, with one thing we've been banging our heads up against the wall about, yeah, that, that, you know, um, kind of positive shift can be so reinforcing to start looking at the other little things and working on them little by little too. So again, we're, we're trying to avoid the idea that this has to be perfect, that this has to be immediate, that we're, you know, failing if we're not doing it right all the time. Like that is totally possible.
0: Yeah. I mean, the change is very small, <laughs> like, right. These little, like you said, maybe I started to yell and I stopped like that's progress, right? Like that's huge. And I was watching a kid earlier. Um, I do therapy, play and he was trying to pick up these cotton balls with his foot and he, I just, I said, mom, look at his brain. Every time he's making, it doesn't work. His brain is coming up with a new way to make it work. And every mistake is showing him more information about what it's going to take to accomplish this. And that's exactly what we're doing in real time. And we're, we're good while we're doing it. We're good. We're safe. We're okay while we're doing it. And we have to consciously tell ourselves that, right. So that we can be relaxed and open enough to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. I like that <clears throat> reminder to tell ourselves that we're safe. I think we mm. talk about we, we've got our three C's of connection. but We also have our three P's. We like alliteration, and y'all
0: are so good at your little word but, word game, word tricks. Yeah, yeah. So we've got preparation
1: before a challenging moment, presence in the moment, and post processing after. And so we focus a lot, yeah. especially on the preparation and the post processing, because. Being present in the moment and showing up in a way that feels ideal and is um, de-escalating and promoting more safety and learning is really tricky, right? So working from the outside in, you know, Mm -hmm. on the timeline, so to speak, and building those skills when emotions aren't running high, when we're not being late somewhere, when physical violence isn't happening, you know, siblings wailing on each other or like, you know, someone's just drawing my favorite plant. Like I'm just, my mind goes to like
0: these like horrors of like toddlerhood. Your poor plant. I don't know where you got these examples. I don't know.
1: (laughs) And and, and focusing on presence in the moment, being like more of those mantras, focusing on our self-regulation, saying this isn't an emergency is a favorite with a lot of people we work with. Yeah, same, same. Not an emergency, Mm -hmm we'll Mm -hmm. figure this out later or we can talk Mm -hmm. about this later. Mm -hmm. Right. And just not adding in the moment essentially Mm -hmm. is, is a primary goal. (laughs) Yeah. Saving all the learning for outside the moment on either end before or after. And that's the circle. I mean, really when you go after, you're just preparing for the next time. So Mm -hmm. it, it all goes around, around and around. Absolutely. Around
0: Around and around we go. Um, I love it. (laughs) Well, what, what do y'all say about, I know we talked about this idea of the unconscious feminist hypocrisy. Tell me what y'all think about that and, and, and what, what we should all be aware of. Oh
1: yeah. I mean, this, this comes back to, like, I was kind of talking a little bit at the beginning about our, our girls when they hit about four, our sons were about two and we were kind of, slowly noticing a hypocrisy in ourselves. And we we were part of this um, kind of local ladies group that had a lot of meetups about, um, you know, children at the border and reproductive rights and, you know, gun control and all of these things. And we would go to these these hangouts and we'd come home kind of musing about them and being like, oh, these little conversations, the speakers were great. And then we, you know, during break times, we would connect with people and and just hear these things that just kind of didn't really align. Like we were listening to the talking about, you know, kids at the border and how unjust this is. And then on the break, we heard someone talking about locking their kid in their room until they fell asleep, even though they were banging at the doors. And like that, how is that happening? Right. Um, and we would come home from these you know, a rally or a talk or whatever it is, and feel the urge to to pull rank on our kids and say, "Get in the tub," you know. When we ten minutes ago we were like, "My body, my choice," or right? resist. Yeah. You know yeah. resist. resist don't resist me at bedtime. But don't resist me when it's time to brush your teeth,
0: yeah. right?
1: And so this was a, a great moment. Um, of awareness building for us, a lot of moments of mm-hmm. awareness building for us in trying to really align those greater values that we have, that we hold for ourselves and for as people in the world with the ways that we're showing up around toothbrushing, bathing, toileting, car seats, clothing, eating, all of those things, right? Yeah. yeah. Because the way that we teach our kids ultimately is what they learn. It's not just don't bop your brother, eat your vegetables, you got to be clean and presentable it's the way we're going about it says, is it consent based or is it shame based? Right. Is it body positive or is it body shaming? Is it connective and respectful or is it coercive and controlling? Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Right. Power with or power
1: over. Right. Well, and I think we all identify it as like, we're these like lovely women who are like just mom, momming it and doing the best we can. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that, that unconscious feminist hypocrisy that we kind of wandered into that felt so relatable uh, and anchoring to us and so many other progressive ladies that we've worked with um, kind of made us realize, wow, like... In the, there's an institution, the, the home is the first institution our kids experience. And so mm-hmm. we're maybe trying to protect them from like religious institutions or you know, educational institutions or other institutions that are great in a lot of ways that can also be harmful in others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or political institutions, but mm-hmm. we forget that our institution is also a hierarchy and that very yeah. often we show up as the man, right? And we can easily see <laughs> yes. replicating these institutions that we're <clears throat> fighting against personally right or professionally but then in the home we kind of have this new role and so that's when the scripting started changing too where we were like i'm using this like you know white patriarchal script on my kid and that's not the voice i want to be using that's not the role and that's definitely not the conditioning and voice i want my kid to be using on other people or think is okay to experience themselves when they go out into the workplace when they have a partner." when they are working with neighbors or other people and and struggling, what voice do we want to be conditioning them to hear and to say? And so I think the unconscious feminist hypocrisy was at our angle in a lot of ways that was fun to explore and really use as a motivational force to shift our parenting and for a lot of folks we work with. But I think there's a hypocrisy in any way, shape, or form that, that could apply to any type of parent. So for example, you mentioned someone you were working with who admitted to being incredibly sensitive, right? And sure. that when you helped her relate to the shared sensitivity and she said, I am a sensitive person. I wasn't treated well. And how do I want to be treated as a really sensitive person? I cannot treat my child the way I, their sensitivity, the way I am right now. It just, that's hypocritical. It doesn't, mm-hmm. It doesn't align. It doesn't work, right? Or someone else could think of it from another angle, how hypocritical that the the conventional parenting practices are in relationship with their kids. So everyone's got their angle. They're out there. Yeah. Well, I, I and it, a, lot of, um, a lot of male identifying partners mm-hmm. who are thinking about a lot of these things in terms of organizational psychology and workplace dynamics mm-hmm. and the type of leader mm-hmm. and influ- influence they want to be or the type of boss that they have or that they're okay working for and trying to align that kind of like... Boss employee um, kind dynamic. of dynamic to the parent child dynamic and being like oh gosh I'm kind of a dick I'm kind of a dick boss right now a little bit like wow that's that's a big one
0: absolutely it's it's that it's it's we symbolize we we hold the power we symbolize the power anything like that the nervous system that slash the body. Associates with that experience that they had in our relationship will actually get, pro- will absolutely get projected onto whatever happens when they're an adult. Right. And it reminds me of this idea of this power over, like we all talked about, and this idea of because I said so, do it right now. We're overriding our child's internal cues, their body's messages, their agency, their intuition of, I'd really like to finish this book. And then do it, right? Like, and so it goes back into this idea of how that mother, the example of she's been taught to look outside always and ignore inside, right? Mm -hmm. It goes back to that theme of, I don't care how you feel about it, do it anyway. Going back to also the very beginning of our conversation, we've lost touch with our intuition, we've lost touch with our body's natural cues and how. One, it's like parenting for social change, but also two, it also makes these 18 years a lot easier and a beautiful relationship in the long run where they do actually want to hang out with us. They do actually want to, you know, connect with us like because they truly want to. But this idea of really honoring their internal experience while having boundaries, while having a bottom line of you do have to brush your teeth before you go to bed. How can we make that work? Right.
1: I mean, you just identified another hypocrisy. I think like those of most of us who identify as women are struggling to rekindle and come, come back into relationship with what we call our inner wisdom and our inner authority. And yeah. that's our core essentially, yeah. right? It's who yeah. we are. And it was never nurtured right, most of the time, it, most of our relationships growing up. And so our inner wisdom is who am I and, and what do I need, right? Getting wise and aware about those needs and feelings. And then the inner authority is feeling the permission and having the skills to communicate that and stand up for that to other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is a huge amount of work that a lot of us are doing right now in our 30s and 40s. And then we realize that conventional parenting essentially shuts down kids' inner wisdom and authority and devalues those things. That's a hypocrisy uh, angle right there where you can be like, oh, dang it. Okay. I've got to be supporting my kids' inner wisdom and authority so they don't have to do that work in therapy in their 30s and 40s, right? Mm -hmm. Like, wow, their childhood and their teenhood and their young adulthood Mm -hmm. and their adulthood is going to be so much easier when they know who they are, what they want, and how to get it. And when they can recognize that in other people too, so it goes from the inside out. It works for them and then Mm -hmm. you can apply that, right? And so that's what these challenges are about is saying, we're not just pandering and being just nice to be nice, the conversation in the three C's are inherently um, opening up our inner wisdom and authority and sharing that and learning about their inner wisdom and authority Mm -hmm. and building the skills and the awareness around that. I mean, it's, it's It's, life work. It's like a whole other goal though. And I love that Mm -hmm. what you said too, brings up this, this conversation around socialization versus self-awareness, which is, those are Mm -hmm. two responsibilities that we have, um, as mm-hmm. parents, we got to get these kids socialized, right? We don't want them looking all raggedy and being rude to people and not knowing how things go, right? And then yeah, some stuff yeah. they need to be aware of what they need and whatever is usually put secondary. Let's be honest. So most of our work, um, in our online community and in our coaching is helping parents flip that that dynamic mm-hmm. and focus on this on the self awareness first as the priority and the socialization second because let's be honest, the entire world's going to be socializing them anyway. And I was thinking about oh, how. Perfect example of what you were just sharing, what I saw at the park recently, where two little girls, one maybe three, one maybe six or seven, were trying to play on this little gym together. And they were just struggling naturally, taking turns and getting into each other's space. And the older one ended up having to get off because the little one got upset and was crying. And the older one just kind of got robbed of her space and turn essentially and shoved off. She said, I hate that little girl. I'm never, oh, like a few things like that. I I was wanted my turn. It wasn't there. And the parent just kept saying, that's not kind. That's not kind. That's not kind. And I just, I got total body goosebumps and was just thinking this girl is hearing, don't say what you need. Don't Mm -hmm. stand up for yourself. Don't express outrage when something happens to you that feels unfair, just in the name of being kind. You shouldn't even feel it or trust it, let alone express it. How
0: unkind is it to not see your child in their struggle? Right. Like you're not being kind when you're just like robotically repeating the script you heard on Instagram. Exactly. Right. And and that's the medicine too. That's what gives the child the experience of feeling seen when the parent says, Whoa, like I learned that from y'all years ago, translating, right? Like you are so frustrated, my God, that you wanted that turn and then she screamed so loud you walked off. But that wasn't fair when we empathize and really see them in their struggle They internalize that and say, oh, I'm understood. I feel like the stakes aren't so high in this relationship with my mom. I can struggle and still feel connected. And then that's also how they start to learn to naturally give it outward, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, they're learning those words. They feel validated and safe first in their experience of their pain. Right. Yeah. That's a passion step. And then we can yeah. see what happened. Let's talk about it. We go into curiosity. What could we have done next time? Creativity yeah. moving forward. But they also through that process are learning the words other than I hate her. I'm so mad. Sure. So exactly. Walking through that and saying that was so tricky or it's so hard when both of you want the space or we're narrating what mm-hmm. they'll eventually be able to say once they have a more developed prefrontal cortex and have heard it, things like this over and over again, basically.
0: Exactly. I love that. Right. So you're giving them the language you want them to be able to say in time. Yeah. Which is that made me so angry. That wasn't fair. I didn't like that. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Which and then totally I wonder totally awesome to say. Yeah. And then I wonder why she wouldn't be on the thing with me. And I wonder what we could do right this minute or next yeah. time. I mean that those are social emotional right. skills that aren't mm-hmm. taught at schools. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. taught really anywhere. We get so no. These Network. fundamental developmental opportunities with our kids, when we can focus away from behaviors and more to needs, right? Of their needs and the other kids' needs our needs. It's it's mm-hmm. really again. I feel like I keep coming back to being like it's so dang productive. It is I so. Know. And to so many people who watch though, it can look really permissive. It can look really pandery. It can it, it can, can look, look unkind. It can look confusing. Mm-hmm. It can look entitled. It can, you know, people have a lot of lenses with it. And so much of this work too, like you said, Anne, is we're not all parenting in a vacuum. It, we can feel really alone, but we don't have to be. We can get support from therapists. We can get support from parent coaches. We can be in communities and be searching out like-minded folks because they're out there. They're going through yeah. the same thing and they're doing that work. We're all doing it together. So that can help absolutely. a little bit.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and that idea too around it's so productive, but you have to trust that it's productive and we have the science to back it up now. Um, but that extra four minutes you're taking to really get on your child's level and wonder and connect and do the three C's with them. You're building this capacity in them to do it while you sit back and drink your matcha mm-hmm. and just watch it happen in time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And, and right? that's a
0: beauty of having siblings too, because you start seeing these things take
1: yeah. shape a little bit sooner. Sometimes yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where they start they work the three C's with each other. You see them. Mm-hmm. start working the three C's with like my partner and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're, they're I know kind of amazing. Right. Osmosis. It's just it's, just it's contagious. Yeah, it's, not it's relationship, right? It's it's mm-hmm. human work. It's nonviolent communication and human mm-hmm. work. It
0: really is. And you know, what what do y'all really see in your community and in your coaching clients to be this kind of the biggest challenges you see? Because I want all of the folks listening to feel less alone, always less like there's something wrong with them. And it's so neat how right we get to really see inside families and get such a glimpse into what people struggle with. And there's a lot of current themes. Is there anything beyond what we've already discussed that really comes to mind right now that you see at this moment in time, parents really struggling with.
1: Mm. partnerships, uh, parenting, <laughs> yes. um, is probably one of the biggest ones that we deal with. Mm-hmm. That would be one of the biggest yeah. ones is just how to figure out what, you know, the uh, gain awareness and what you, you value together and then start shifting little by little with your partner and how you're going about these things. That's a huge one. Mm-hmm. And then I would say just as far as the parenting goes, just, you know, moving from most of the folks in our private coaching have two, three, four, five, six year olds. And in our community, it's a little bit wider of an age range from like one to maybe 13. But most yeah. of them are, are reaching a point at a certain point, the head against the wall kind of point where they've been maybe mm-hmm. doing to their kid with most of the activities of daily living from the get-go, which is so normal to do. That's how you get things done is you you dress your kid, you feed your kid, you, you move them yeah. along out the floor, you buckle them into their car seat, right? And then at a certain point, kids start coming into their own and saying, I actually want you to do it with me, or I want to do it myself. And mm-hmm. most of us do not have the communication and collaboration skills, three Cs, because they weren't practiced with us, right, and modeled. We don't know yeah. how to be in relationship and get things done together right? And so that's yeah. the, those are the biggest things. And so that's around hygiene, toothbrushing, hairbrushing, hair brushing, bathing. It's bedtime around, is a really big one right bedtime now Bedtime is huge. How to support a collaborative anchoring process, we like to call it, right? Mm. Um, getting out the door in the morning. So moving through with a time constraint, which is so stressful and triggering to most of us, mm-hmm. how to get, get through collaboratively, right? And in most of these situations, they're about our kids' bodies, right? Um, yeah. Even that you know, needs an Are about kids' bodies so often, and so moving into a a way that's building collaboration because we can't move their bodies anymore, and we eventually won't be able to, and um, we want to be building uh, an awareness of of body autonomy and consent based practices. So that's the work we do is just helping parents figure out a new way of approaching all of these tricky moments, the big feelings, and the challenging behaviors, the resistance that they see, and seeing them as really great learning opportunities to practice those three C's whenever they can. And start noticing how things do move quite a bit smoother when they're bringing their kid into onto the stage, essentially. They do move more smoothly, and but I, they also just feel better. And I like that mm. you are pointing to that feeling at the park where you're just like letting stuff play out a little. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that a lot of people we work with say first, which is things aren't really changing behaviorally necessarily with my kids, but I just feel better about all of it. I just feel like it's less of a big deal. I get less triggered. I'm less upset. I have less of a feeling like I'm the writer, director, producer being like, everyone is off script. This is so wrong. This cannot be wrong.
0: Have that feeling. This this play is a flop. Right. None of that. (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. (laughs) Totally. Right. And and the bedtime idea, right? I, I just really think that this control based culture of parenting really gets the volume gets turned up so extremely at nighttime. And we have this idea that kids resist sleep, but I think that if we took the pressure off and let them trust their bodies, kids do sleep. And I know there's, I know there's like the babies and, and there's some children that are just extra wired and they need a little extra help. But I think in general, We've been forcing this routine and 715, 725, 735, and our nervous system is so jacked and they're co-regulating off of that. And if we just take the pressure off and let them have more autonomy and body respect, like radical responsiveness to what their body needs, and we take the hands off the wheel to a healthy middle ground place with still some boundaries in place, you'd be surprised how much your kid's body wants to sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would I you agree
0: you, absolutely yeah.
1: and i think it's such a big trust fall like oh my gosh, yeah. it's so hard to to trust in that process um and I, I when you bring it back to a nervous system perspective though you're like you know think about the hypocrisy again like what do our bodies need to wind down for sleep when we're fried and wired after a really yeah. hard day? It is a process for most of us, right? We don't just mm-hmm, like pop mm-hmm. in bed and fall asleep right away. Like we need support, right? We yeah. lean on partners, we lean on Netflix, we lean on other, like hopefully adaptive strategies, right? And and so much about this isn't, again, focusing on the outcome and the behavior. Just get to bed by this time. It's right. focusing on the... the intimate self-care process mm-hmm. of awareness and nurturing and consent and, and acceptance and trust and letting go because that's how you actually fall asleep is you have to feel safe and secure enough in your body to let go to fall asleep. Exactly. So, exactly. And, and alluding to the fact that these routines, which we have been told very often can create that sense of security, can actually create insecurity and heightened anxiety. and Exactly. Boredom. Regulation mm-hmm. that works completely against the whole idea of bedtime. So, yes. we open up a collaborative bedtime routine with a little more trust, like you said, where we give a little bit of power back to our kids. Who it's their body and their bedtime. We can't force mm-hmm. them to fall asleep. So we got to work together here. Mm-hmm. We also want our kids to learn how to fall asleep on their own. You know, capably, confidently. Mm-hmm. As adults, it's it's just a whole new landscape. Again, it's the the scripted play versus the improv routine. Mm -hmm. Um, and it it does feel safer over time though, the more you practice it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and nighttime, I tell my clients a lot, nighttime security is a real thing. It's a real need. And how many parents have you heard tell you, I know I have that they were terrified at night. They were not allowed to go into mom and dad's bedroom, no matter what, unless they'd thrown up. Right. Like it was just such Mm -hmm. this, this extreme, um, authoritarian idea that like you can never come in and seek comfort. And how much we need to honor our kids' needs for closeness while they're young and Mm -hmm. trust that that security, again, that we're providing is gradually being internalized so that they will absolutely Mm -hmm. be able to do this on their own in time. It's that irony of every time your child wants to be picked up, you pick them up and they will ask to be picked up less because you Mm -hmm. met the need, right?
1: We meet the needs during the day. Why wouldn't we meet the needs at night? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's just dark. When it's dark outside.
1: Yes. One of the, the big things that people come to us saying, my goal is that they sleep independently. And we're like, let's work on a new goal. But that's like an ultimate goal. That, that's it's a, a great one. ultimate goal. We'll get
0: there someday. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Reasonable goal for well, right now. And I think the reasonable goal, what we end up discovering with folks around bedtime or hygiene or school stuff or sibling yeah. stuff is that it's about competing needs, and that's why it's so hard. And so, Mm -hmm. of course, we should meet our kids' needs and babies' needs as best we can because we know that that, that's ultimately the most supportive thing. And the reason we don't is because it's usually in direct competition with our own needs. And that's why we're a harsher parent. That's Of course, they should be able to go to sleep by five because I'm so tired of being locked in their room and lying down with them. I can't do it anymore, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. How can I get my needs met? And we help parents find other ways to do it other than saying, you're five so you should know how to do this by now and I'm just
0: And then a a bigger zoom out what, like and, and this is a privilege I acknowledge that we have right that those of us that are able to even listen to this podcast have the time to invest in learning about these things but why is your day like how can you look at your day as am I taking care of myself throughout the day so that I'm the pressure is not so extreme of now that I'm back into my house I completely flop and believe me I lived that way for a long time unconsciously realizing it was again, unprocessed trauma really in my body, this chronic low-grade fight-or-flight response that was causing me to be so exhausted and stressed and dying for my numb time, my numbing time, right? And so again, this kind of zoom out of, wow, this is a bigger issue than my five-year-old needing to go to bed by eight o'clock. Wouldn't you agree? (laughs) Exactly. And that's what opening the timeline up helps. What, what we do
1: is this is a tricky moment, but let's expand that moment and say, how can we prepare ourselves to show up yeah. for bedtime better? When I realized that if I washed my face and got my robe on before I did bedtime, it was like 70% easier.
0: Just literally I, too. Two
1: <laughs> yes. I had makeup on apparently. Sure. 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 No, yeah. Right. Or my husband realized that he would drive from work and come home and he had been sitting, 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 sitting. And then he had to sit and do bedtime stuff. And he realized right. his nervous system hadn't been integrated and he needed to move his body before he anchored in for bedtime. So preparation, yeah. can be best. it can also be preparing our kids. So we talk about the preparing the environment, preparing the routine, preparing our bodies, preparing our approach and the way we collaborate with them. There's so many amazing ways to move through this without having to resort to panic and coercion. In the moment. And then, oh, Groundhog Day. The next day comes up again and we're like,
0: dang it, here we are again. Right. Right. And this false idea that you mentioned that I was like fist pumping the air around is this the script we get around. Our kids will feel secure when the world is predictable because we have this very rigid schedule that they have to adhere to. And that forces us to be dysregulated. It forces us to be angry, frustrated, and to be like coercive. And I heard you say Netflix is a tool. And I also agree that, like, you know what? There's some nights where I don't have it in me. And I know that my relaxed nervous system is the most powerful, like, agent of change that I have in my parenting role. And so, you know what? We're all going to snuggle on the sofa after we brushed our teeth. Right. And I just need. Mm -hmm. Right. I just need to like zone out with y'all. And you know what? No one, no one dies. And my kids were okay. Right. Like that is also an option when you are again, like honoring your own radical responsiveness to what you need and giving your kids also the example of some days we just need to do this and that's okay too we can co-create the
1: world plan, right? And so you said it makes the world a safer place when it has this schedule, but like, then who are we, you know, creating this? And I think what you're saying is it's it's flexible, it's adaptable, it's fluid. And the the sooner we can admit that ourselves and start shifting things, the sooner our kids can have such an incredible amount of capability in shifting things in their lives and not necessarily- by external expectations of a plan or a schedule or something that someone else created without their needs being taken into account. So when we are taking the power and saying, how can I shift this evening routine in a way that works for me and my kid, we're empowering them to shift routines and challenges Mm -hmm. for themselves around stuff way beyond a trickier than Mm -hmm. bedtime. I like that you also point to something we work with people about, which is in a tricky moment, we check in with ourselves. Sometimes we can only control and we're like, I'm so dysregulated. I'm just going to control the crap out of this and everyone. And I'm so sorry and I love you. We, second mm-hmm. choice, connect, right? We use the three C's, we lean in. But sometimes we know, like you said that night, you knew you didn't have it in you to do that mm-hmm. connecting. You would probably lean on the control toolbox, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so our third option is always to let it go. Let it go <sighs> for now. Take another yeah. route, experiment, carry the shoes to the car, let the room be dirty another day. Let them eat bread and cheese for the meal, and we're not bringing anything up, right? And that's okay too. And that's a big realization for a lot of parents we work with that it's okay to let it go. It's okay. I'm even a
0: little, yes, I could not agree more. And I'm even a little scared to say that, right? Because I can hear the voices being like, no, 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 no. You have to be consistent at all costs. You have to, you know, like ingrain this. But I also completely agree. And it's rooted in the neuroscience. And it's been how I have walked through parenting myself um largely alone because my husband travels a ton so i've also been without a partner right most of the time honestly and so but trusting the long game of I am honoring regulation, I am honoring rhythms, there's a middle ground, it's not extreme, like, oh, you don't like dinner, we're running to McDonald's. It's not, you know, we have some boundaries that we're always falling within that are that are stable and predictable. But within that, we can honor our own regulation, honor our own body's cues, and, and live a life of just more connection and harmony. Because I have to have that to be able to have the bandwidth to be the parent. That they need to co-regulate kind of off of, right? Let's let's
1: change them. Let's reframe this. It's not letting it go. How about it's sure. letting it breathe? It's letting it breathe. <sighs> challenging moment. and that's why our challenging moment on the timeline is pre- in the moment is presence. Because when we try to do too much and control too hard. You said at all costs. There are costs to using sure. control when we're dysregulated. Mm-hmm. The cost is lower learning. The cost is a negative association around things like bedtime or hygiene or dinner that we want to oh, create totally. so no associations around. Sure, right. There's distrust or, or broken consent. Uh, there is a cost to control. And so that's yeah. why letting it breathe is a step toward connection, which we yeah. will be using more and more often as we go. And that's where you get to do, if you let it go in the moment, that doesn't mean it's total chaos and you're always going to let it go because guess mm-hmm. what? You have mm-hmm. processing. You have the, the mm-hmm. next moment on the timeline. And then after processing, you have preparation. And so that's where the work gets done in figuring out how to use connection next time. We can't always come up. It's
0: strategic. It is. It is. is. And it's neuroscience based. Like we have got to honor our own regulation because the more regulated we are, the more secure our children will be. The more regulated we are, the more we can provide that internal security through relationship. And that is the ultimate way to build these resilient, self-aware, connected, children that can know themselves in this scary world. And I want to end on that too, right? Like this world has got so much going on and it's so overwhelming, all the change, all the things. And I, I, I soothe parents and myself knowing that this work is the most protective thing I can do for my children, building internal security in them. And all these skills that we've mentioned really is the most important, powerful place to put my time and energy so that my kid is the most protected. Wouldn't you say?
1: Oh my gosh, so much. It's, it's something that mm-hmm. comes up with a lot of people we work with, especially new to this more conscious parenting, because they say, I want my kid to be resilient. So that's yeah. why I'm using the tools of the outside world. Right. Yeah, a, like, right. And that's a, It's a defense that a lot of people have for, um, for parenting a little bit less con- consciously and trying to figure out, a, whether it's intentional or not. But Mm -hmm. I think Anna always has a really great metaphor for a little plant that has helped people. Just, you know, thinking of, Mm -hmm. of, of our homes, not as needing to be a replica of the outside world to prepare our kids. But being more like a, a nurturing protection from the outside world, like an incubator, more like an incubator mm-hmm. at, that you mm-hmm. would with a plant, where you you don't want to be um, putting the plant in in the, the the strong elements and and exposing it too harshly and too soon to all of these these external elements because it's going to harm the, the infrastructure of the plant right? Mm The plant's ultimate strength and resilience. And so protecting it for an amount of time, that's not saying not allowing it to struggle. Protection is actually what we're talking about with the three C's and the relationship building and the focusing on self-awareness over socialization. That's a real foundational developmental focus that we get to do in the early years um, to plant those roots, really, really strong roots in the ground so that our kids Mm. can go out with those three C's, that they can be compassionate to themselves and others, that they can be curious about themselves and others, and they can be creative about themselves and others. Because we don't know what the world is going to be, but we know it needs more compassionate, curious, and creative people to solve all of the problems and to get through it, right? Amen. So this applies regardless of what world they go into, because they will be more, more calm, more confident and more capable, right. And, and be able to support people in doing that as well. That's the goal.
0: I love it. Oh, I mean, we have just been like rapid fire going so fast because I could not be more excited to talk to y'all more aligned with what you're doing. Y'all are just such just bright, kind, creative women. I just admire the crap out of Mm y'all. So thank you so blast. much for coming I
1: mean, on. Ooh, this was a mm-hmm. blast. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. Where can they find all of your wonderful offerings?
1: Yeah. Well, we're uh, we've got a website at upbringing.co, and that's the same handle on Instagram. And um, we do live Q&As. We're getting back into this fall, a weekly live Q&A that then gets shifted over to our podcast, which you can find on all platforms. We have an online membership called the Upbringing Collective, which is monthly or yearly membership with people all over the world. Um, Lots of forums by topic, weekly Q&As, and a lot of connection um, about sensitive, strong-willed, and neurodiverse kids. And then we also have a private coaching program uh, with parents also all over the world who buy, um, six sessions at a time. So we can really deep dive and create momentum around either a specific challenge, like bedtime is a nightmare right now, or a lot of challenges. I'm trying to get closer to my kid and create trust and uh, rework our relationship a little bit, um, and across a multiple age span too. So Mm -hmm. we also work with partners. So it's often two on two, Mm -hmm. which has been really cool, really fun.
0: Absolutely. Gosh. And I love the reels y'all have done lately where one of y'all is representing the mainstream parent method and one of y'all is representing the upbringing method and y'all are kind of having this argument back and forth. And it's just such a great way to see the contrast of the different ideas. I just love that. Yeah. With scripts,
1: the clapbacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of (laughs) people said, I love seeing these because it helps me articulate why I'm doing this to other people in my life. But you know what? I have both voices in my head. I have the voice that says, this deserves a punishment. And then I'm developing the voice that says, we're all doing the best we can with the skills we have. What can we do about this? Right. Mm -hmm. And so it really works on multiple levels for people. They've been really fun to make.
0: Well, and over time, the Hannah voice will get quieter and the Kelty voice will get louder, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yep. I know that's the beauty of it, right? Over time absolutely oh well thank y'all so much i know that this community has just benefited so greatly from hearing us jabber on about all the things we're so excited about
1: yeah this is really fun thank you again yeah thank you guys mm-hmm. i feel like we could keep talking forever
0: i could talk to y'all for a really long time a long time <laughs> <clears throat> i know okay another episode down thank y'all so much for being here Please stay in touch by following me on Instagram and following the podcast and share with anyone you think would benefit from these new ideas we're putting out into the world. I've got so many more people just to come and share with you, just learning alongside you and sharing the things I've already learned. And I'm just so grateful to be stepping into this new paradigm with you. Thanks for being here. I'll talk to you later.